0: And we're joined by the amazing Dr. Dina Grayson. Hi, Dina, how are you?
1: Oh, my gosh, the amazing Zeb. How are you? (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for that. What Um... a introduction.
0: Well, you are really amazing. You know, we love you very much. And it's a good time to have you on because we're looking at these numbers as they start peaking, oh, I don't know if it's a peaking, but they're certainly climbing across the country. And it looks kind of scary. Certainly the hospitalization numbers are terrifying for people. Uh, the hospital staff are beginning to burn out in various parts of the country. And we're beginning to see what looks like and feels like New York in March. Um, where it was just overcapacity of the hospitals, people having to make tough choices about whether uh, people get to ICU beds or whether they can even admit new patients. And that's when the death started to spiral. So that's scary heading into a Christmas season uh, for most families and and most people in America. So my question to you is, uh, how scared should people be?
1: Well, Zav, I I unfortunately have been predicting this massive wave of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths since... January, as you know, yeah. um, you know, for for folks that say, well, gosh, we never saw this coming. I mean, uh, you know, if you're a, a healthcare expert, shame on you, because this was very obvious. Um, and unfortunately, this really falls at the feet of Donald Trump himself and Mike Pence and the rest of this so-called task force, who has, they have utterly failed the American people. We just reached a very grim milestone, as I know you're well aware, with over a quarter of a million Americans now dead from this virus. And, you know, those numbers are projected before President-elect Joe Biden takes office on January 20th. And I am counting down not the days, not the hours, but the minutes and Mm. the seconds.
0: Yeah, it's really
1: just like that. Well, yeah, 7 we're projected to lose well over another 100,000 Americans. Yeah. Okay. And you you know you pointed out something really critical here. We remember what happened in New York where really the healthcare system really was on the verge of collapse and in fact it really did collapse. We mm. had so many people getting sick that they couldn't even go to the hospital and died at home and it was hard to count everyone who was dying. We had mobile morgues being set up. Well, mm. We already have that happening in El Paso, Texas. The difference between March and now, there's some very, very bad news and there's some glimmers of hope. The very, very bad news is that it's not just New York and Seattle, it's the whole country. The whole country is a sea of red, Mm. of uncontrolled viral spread. And remember when this happened in, in just these isolated pockets in March and last spring, we could mobilize resources like doctors and nurses and ventilators and we could mobilize the military to have right there the the naval medical ships Well, what do you do when it's 47 states
0: right Right. it's really hard to build that kind of infrastructure for people and and so that was the uh that's the bad news but the glimmer of hope you said there is some glimmer of hope because what's that
1: sure so a couple of things first of all i think that we are testing more. So we are seeing, you know, so the percentage of people getting hospitalized compared to the number of cases is much smaller. And really that is reflective of testing. Now, that does not mean I'm espousing Donald Trump's stupid theory, crazy conspiracy theory that we're just having more cases because we're testing. Well. No, we're actually having more hospitalizations. So we know Mm. we're having more and more people are getting sick. We're having more and more deaths. So the situation is not good. So I I just want to emphasize that that is the true reality that we're dealing with. The other hope, good news here, a couple of things. Doctors are better. Doctors are better at treating these patients. So it's not just the availability of, you know, Lilly's antibody therapy, um, which is really intended for mildly ill people um, that are high risk to so basically prevent them from getting seri- getting seriously ill. Remdesivir, which is highly effective, which is certainly I would call it highly effective in ill patients, not critically ill patients, but mild to moderately ill patients, and just how to ventilate these patients. Um, there's different ways they're positioning patients, et cetera, that is improving outcomes. So there, there, there is a glimmer of hope. And then of course we have the vaccine trials. So Zav, I am so, I am extremely encouraged. Okay, I, I, I mean that as with the strongest level of not just op- optimism, but really confidence. Pfizer's vaccine, I have every, uh, reason to believe that the FDA will authorize that vaccine. And Moderna is, at least based on their early data, we'll see, an, and I believe in about a week, week and a half, we'll have the final data from that trial. I have every reason to believe that both of those vaccines will likely be authorized this year um, with vaccination starting. So yeah, negative, I read yeah. Pfizer as
0: well was starting a distribution centers, four distribution centers around the country. So, does that mean that people might get access to these uh, vaccines sooner than than expected?
1: Well, they, like everything else with the Trump administration, they they've not released a plan. I that makes you wonder if they have a plan, mm, okay, uh, right. with respect to distribution. But certainly, Pfizer has a plan. Now, the, the, the downside is they only have enough vaccine doses to to vaccinate twelve and a half million Americans this year. It requires two doses about three weeks apart. So mm-hmm. uh, but next year they will have plenty of vaccine doses. So the bad news is overall, we're very likely going to have to go through this next wave through certainly through winter into February timeframe with very few people as a percentage of the population vaccinated. But the good news is, is that that vaccine is rolling out. That our healthcare workers, that we, you know, if we run out of doctors and nurses, who takes care of us when we get sick? They're, they you know, there should be vaccine doses to start vaccinating them. And for high-risk people. So one of the other things, and this is something I I called people's attention to um, a couple of weeks ago, I said, look, when we look at the vaccine data when they come out, we want to really see how well do these vaccines work in people over the age of 65. Mm -hmm. Because typically vaccines don't work as well in folks that are a little older. And we also know that these are the people at the highest risk for serious illness and death. And the fantastic news here, Zeb, is that Pfizer's vaccine was at least 94% effective in people over the age of 65. So these are some good things, but we still have the next three months are going to be utter...
0: Health. Yeah, they are right. going to be out of health. So the good news is there's a vaccine coming. So the you know mid to long term is great. In the right. in the short term, you're less likely to die if you get COVID because there's better treatments um, and better therapies and and they should be able to, to deal with that hopefully. to some extent, hopefully.
1: Unless the hospitals get overwhelmed like right. New York. And that's what I fear. So, right. you know, this is, and I am, I, I won't call it anxious, but I am gravely concerned that as we go into the holiday season, How many people do you know have Thanksgiving plans? I mean, Thanksgiving is a big holiday. It always has been in my family. We love to get together. I love to cook, my family loves to cook. And it's these small in-home gatherings now, we're not even in holiday season, that are fueling the spread of this virus. I mean, you know, in Canada, Canada's Thanksgiving was in mid-October and they saw a huge spike in cases in Canada. And Canada's handled this pandemic much better than we have in the United States. And they're warning, they're saying, look, don't, we can't handle this because if it happens at Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you happen to celebrate towards the end of the year, um, you know, or New Year's or whatever you like to celebrate to get together, the whole healthcare system could collapse. I yeah, mean, we that really can't
0: tough. have that. We can't have that no. happening. We can't have people treating this holiday season like a normal holiday season. It's you know, it's, at best, it's going to be a virtual holiday season for everybody. And and if, if you know, if you spend uh, Christmas by yourself, then it's going to be a tough Christmas. But that's just the nature of the beast this year. But I am concerned about say you're in in that in the, the big peak that's expected around uh, Christmas time into January. You're at home. You're beginning to feel sick. Uh, you've got a temperature. You're coughing. All the all the typical early symptoms. It could be a flu. It could be anything. What do you What do you do? What do you do? You, you can't go off to the hospital right away. That's not that's not going to be helpful.
1: No, no, I would encourage people to get tested for the coronavirus. I think again, another failure of the Trump administration. Very much so has been. Uh, no testing plan, no tracing, national testing and tracing program, because we re- remember, Trump kept saying we're testing too much. No, right. it's the exact opposite. We aren't testing enough. And we don't have these rapid t- tests. There is a rapid antigen test that's available, that's that's fantastic. We don't have it here. Other countries have it. Five minute turnaround time. It's cheap. It's five bucks. Why don't I mean, we have it?
0: That seems weird.
1: Well, that's Trump. a good question. Yeah. Why don't Right. And right. so, the, you know, and just. Just no leadership at the federal level, so we need these tests because, look, you know, right now you get the PCR test. It's super sensitive, and that's fantastic. But you can't wait five days; it's not mm. practical, no. right? You, you know, and they're expensive. These tests are expensive, and they're not fun to get. If somebody shoves that thing, I've had one. <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple. It,
0: yeah,
1: it's Still not fun. Right. They're not. They're not fun. Um, that being said, you know, we need more and more and more testing. It has to be readily available now. Luckily, a lot of your local um pharmacies i know cvs that chain i'm not touting any specific chain or any specific test but there are drive-through testing sites in many communities in big cities there's walk-in clinics that's what i would encourage people to do if they are symptomatic i certainly would encourage people to make sure that you just you know you've got your medications that you might need um and really try to again go back to where we were in the spring and even if your community is not on a lockdown Every American, because what we don't want a lockdown, okay? Mm. No one wants a lockdown. But if we keep going down this path to hell that we are, mm. that's what we're going to end up having to do, Zev. Yeah. I mean, what do you do, right? If the hospitals get overwhelmed, then it's game over. Because then that's when we saw this nightmare scenario in Wuhan, China, when I mean, their hospitals were completely overwhelmed and they had people dying in the parking lots.
0: Yeah. It was, I mean, I remember that oh. you know, there's an MIT professor that I spoke to when, before the first lockdown in, in the New York area, and he said that's really the only solution is a lockdown. Uh, you know, according to his modeling, when the things get so out of control, that's you right. actually do need to lock down for a month because yes. it's the only yes. way to stop the spread um, if you really want to do that. Um, that's, otherwise, the exactly, spread's going to continue. So That's the,
1: that's exactly right. And what when the problem we have is... Zero, in fact, I will not even call it zero federal leadership. It's worse than that. It's anti-leadership. It's encouraging people to do the wrong thing, holding Mm -hmm. maskless rallies, right? Um, inciting violence against uh, governors and other leaders that are actually doing the right thing and saying, wear a mask, stay home as much as possible. If everybody in this country actually took some personal responsibility and said, look, I'm going to go out only when necessary. When I go out, I'm going to wear a mask we wouldn't necessarily have to force lockdowns. I mean, but the problem is it's a slippery slope. People have mm. their little coronavirus bubbles and they're like, well, but that person's trusted and a loved one. Yeah. And yeah, they, they may well be, but you know what? It only takes one person,
0: yeah.
1: one person to penetrate that bubble and pop.
0: Absolutely. And you know, at the end of the day, four weeks of of lockdown might be better than six months of pain. But who knows, we guess we'll find out uh, the hard way on that one. I've got to, you know, we're going to tell people that they should go to get testing, because that's important. We're going to tell people not to necessarily rush to ERs unless they're feeling particularly sick, because you could get an asymptomatic version of COVID. Even if you test positive, you know, it doesn't mean that you need to go to the ER. It means
1: I would I would recommend strongly against going to the ER for several reasons. Mm -hmm. Number one, for your own safety. Okay. Right. You know, if you go to the ER, you could get ex- You may have the common cold. You may have influenza. You may have something else and not COVID-19 and you could get exposed yes. to somebody with a coronavirus. So bad idea. Secondly, mm-hmm. is we need to reserve those healthcare resources for those who are really, really sick. So signs that you need to go to the hospital would be things like re- shortness of breath. Mm-hmm. If you are short of breath, you need to go to the hospital. If you have any kind of neurologic symptoms, weakness, sudden weakness on one side, um, very, very severe headaches with fever, things that are much more concerning. And I think most folks kind of have a sense of like, yeah, this is more of like a typical, I feel sick. You don't need to rush to the emergency room. So if it's something that really is threatening your life, that's where you want to go to the emergency room and seek health, other, uh, help. Otherwise, you know, there's plenty of opportunities in most communities now to get testing, mm. fortunately. I mean, on the flip side, it's not, I mean, to me, testing should be extremely cheap and or free, is <laughs> mm. what we should be doing. Should be. And, right.
0: So let me ask and you about, if, you, if you're in a community like El Paso, which is, which is very, you know, Ugh. having a really hard time there, uh, where, you know, hospitals are not really an option. I mean, it's, it's getting so hard to even find a bed there. Um, and even in lesser communities that are going to have outbreaks, outbreaks but not as severe, should you be checking how dif- how busy your hospital is before going to an ER? Is that the kind of math you should be playing before you know? Because if you don't, you don't want to end up going there and and sitting in a you know in a cart for hours waiting to be seen and not being able to get to an ICU bed even if you needed one.
1: It's certainly worth trying. The problem is is that if you're in a community like that, you may not have other options. Right and. Right. And certainly what if you are extremely if you are extremely ill, you don't you need to go to the nearest hospital. And generally what they'll do is they'll triage you. And meaning if you are severely ill, I know El Paso, they're transporting patients to other hospitals. So if you're severely ill, don't wait too long to get sick to Mm -hmm. to seek help help either. I mean, that's 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 the thing. It's I this is this is the part that is so. um. has me filled with angst Mm -hmm. Zev, is that when physicians and healthcare workers in Europe are literally have been in tears in Italy and in Spain, because they've had to make these grave decisions about who gets put on the ventilator, who Mm -hmm. doesn't. That is a life and death decision that no doctor ever wants to make. Absolutely. And I, no, I worry for our healthcare workers and the mental stress they're under. And I, I know that sounds may sound some, somewhat trivial. It's it's just, and I, I know it, it comes from a perspective of also being a physician, but, but Zev, I mean, these are our healthcare heroes have been in the trenches for months and months and months. And, you know, I, I know that we're all stressed about pandemic fatigue, about staying home. Imagine what it's like every day to watch the, the suffering and misery, despair and death around you each and every day. So, I mean, I say that for a reason, because this is real folks. And if you wanna hug your relatives next Thanksgiving, please don't get together this Thanksgiving.
0: And the mental toll that is taking, on, taking on, uh, on everybody, I mean, we're all suffering from, you know, either a, just the, the distress of the disease or, or just being isolated, even that can cause a lot of depression and, and mental, uh, you know, health issues. So what would you say to people in terms of fighting their way through this, what will be a dark winter?
1: Yeah, it, it is really concerning, Zev. I mean, especially for those that already suffer from depression and anxiety. These are uh, depressing and anxious times. And I would urge those that are feeling this way to seek help and also to reach out to your friends and loved ones and understand that we can still have community even if we can't see each other in person. Mm-hmm. And maybe, and, and and for those of us who know that we have friends and loved ones that might be, you know, really struggling more, really make an extra effort, you know, to call these people more. I, I like to call my older relatives on the phone. More than I normally do, just because I know they're kind of locked in, and I want them to still feel loved and appreciated. They're not forgotten. So I think all of us can 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 make that little bit of an extra effort to help those in more need. Um, but Zev, it, it's really hard. I mean, um, I, I luckily we do have these wonderful virtual tools, like how we're chatting today, mm-hmm. and I uh, I can't wait to hug you in person at some <laughs> point. Um, but at least you have these really great you know tools that are whether cheap or even free for mm-hmm. folks to use where they can, you know, interact with their loved ones. And I think that's what we should be doing, you know, each and every day. And especially during the holiday season.
0: Yeah. And you could be creative. I mean, there's, you know, you could, there's all these online games you can play on zoom or whatever. Uh, you know, there's, you know, you know, I, I'm not the kind of person who likes to pick up a phone and, and talk about, I cell phone to anybody, you know, I'm just not a phone call kind of guy, but, but I'll play a game, you know, so that kind of works in our family and that's those kind of things that's are fun. helpful to get the, uh, the mood better. Um, Dina, thank you so, so, so much Zev, for coming Zev,
1: on. So one yeah. more thing I did yeah. want to say yeah. is the, 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 really, I've got to say one thing that we don't talk about enough are the kids mm-hmm. and especially kids that come from disadvantaged homes. Right. This is something that, you know, I, I worry that these are kids that are going to get left behind,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: That don't have the resources to be able to study at home, have a quiet place to learn. You know, they don't have a parent that, you know, if you have a a seven-year-old that isn't able to sit in a classroom and their parents have to go to work, what do you do as a parent? I mean, are those kids really learning? I mean, it's so. These are these are. The, I mean, and and there are no right answers here. There really aren't. And I think it's just it's a human tragedy. And I I we I, we I I really can't wait for the inauguration to where we have compassionate leadership again, where we oh, can yeah. think about first of all saving lives. We have to do that first and foremost, and then also of course making sure that we we get everybody up, you know, and and out of the sort of depths of despair that this pandemic has caused.
0: Absolutely, I think it's a really good note. And you know, people in those uh, disadvantaged homes also can't really isolate at all. If there is someone sick in their homes, uh, you know, right. they're more likely to contract, contract the disease. Um, well, Dina, I know this is a, these are grim times, but it's always nice to see you. And uh, thanks very much for coming on and sharing your advice. I'm sure we'll talk again as this thing gets worse, unfortunately, over the next few weeks. Uh, but we'll get better once we have a, a, a new president. Um,
1: Jeff, should, I always love. Uh, yes, uh, I'm so pleased. I'm thrilled that. Uh, uh, President-elect Biden uh, won the election and won it convincingly. Uh, He's a fantastic leader and thanks for having me on as always. You do great work. I know you've got some interesting things to discuss about the origins of this coronavirus so I look forward to uh, hearing more perspectives and again um, wishing you a very safe um, and full of masks holiday season.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To you too Dina and to you and your family have a great uh, holiday season. Talk to you soon.
1: Thanks Ev.